Good afternoon. It is a joy to be back uh, with family. Uh, we are very thankful for the time that we're able to, to go home and be with our, our physical families, uh, which has been such a, a blessing to us and appreciate you all affording us that time. But it is a joy to be back home with our spiritual family. Uh, and we're very thankful for, for you all as well. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 10 if they're not already open there. Luke chapter 10, I want us to think a little bit together today about Martha, Martha. Uh, that's not her last name, but Jesus here refers to her in that way. And we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, many times throughout the Bible, names are, are repeated twice, uh, especially by Jesus, when he is, is making a statement of, of great uh, emotion or, or compassion, many times in a rebuke. Uh, and yet with great care. You remember Jesus as he's looking over Jerusalem and, and Luke chapter 13 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to, to take you under my, my wings, uh, but you were not willing. You remember Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus, when he approaches uh, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Well, we see something very similar here as Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And he has a, a rebuke to offer her, and yet it is with great care and compassion that he gives her this correction. I want us to consider today, what can we learn from Martha? And I, I mean that not just in a negative way, but in a positive way. Uh, as is often the case throughout the scriptures, uh, many individuals we, we can learn both positive lessons and negative lessons from. Uh, and I, I want us to learn both with Martha. Because I think sometimes we, we may miss the point of this passage and, and rebuke Martha, Martha for things that we really shouldn't be necessarily rebuking her for. So I, where I want us to start as we think about what we can learn from Martha is starting with what Martha got right. What are some commendable things about Martha that we should see from this passage that Dave just read to us here in Luke 10? First of all, I think we should commend Martha for her hospitality. You notice there in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Here, Martha is opening up her home, and I, I think it's interesting, it says specifically Martha here, it seems from other passages that maybe Martha and Mary and some of our other family lives together, but it specifically says Martha opened up her home to Jesus. In the very previous chapter, Luke chapter 9, and in verse 58, Jesus had made the statement that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. Well, Martha is providing him that. She's opening up her home that Jesus might have a, a place to stay, that he might be provided for. And I think that's something that we should see as a very good thing. In fact, hospitality is something commended to us throughout the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, we're commanded, let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And so we are to open up our homes. And this word hospitality literally means love of strangers. 
uh, or love of guests, that we are opening up our homes to, to people who don't normally reside there. Uh, and the example given to us, he says here in Hebrews 13, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. What, what is he talking about there? Well, we see an example of hospitality is something uh, that isn't just a New Testament command, but it goes all the way back to the days of Abraham. I think that's what he's referring to here. You remember in Genesis chapter 18. In fact, if you'd like to open your Bibles up to Genesis 18 with me. You remember as some angels and, and the Lord approach Abraham, in Luke chapter eight, uh, Genesis chapter 18, uh, to announce the, the coming birth of Isaac. If you want to focus in particular, starting in verse 6, uh, here Abraham has offered to bring out water to, to wash the feet of these men and to give them something to eat. And as they accept, in verse 6 it says, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three uh, sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man to pre who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Here, Abraham, all, all the way back, the very first book of our Bible, we have an example and I think an encouragement of a hospitality here, and that's what the Hebrew writer is referring to in Hebrews 13. But I want you to imagine for a moment, Abraham is a 99-year-old man. Uh, and do, do you notice the language that's used there? And Abraham went quickly into the tent and, uh, to Sarah and said, quick. Uh, down in verse 7 it says, And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Here, you have this 99-year-old man, and out of a desire to show kindness to these strangers, he is rushing around, he is running, he's getting all of these things ready. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment uh, in reference to Martha. You know, should, should, should one of us have come along and said to Abraham, Abraham, that this, this really isn't that important. You, you, you shouldn't be going through all of this effort to, uh, to, to serve here. Well, no, certainly not. This is a positive example for us, uh, something that we should do. And so I, I think we need to be careful what exactly we're rebuking Martha for, uh, or what we see Jesus' rebuke to be a reference to. Showing hospitality, love of strangers, is a good and commendable thing. Uh, in Genesis chapter 19, we see that this ultimately is what distinguishes Lot from the, the wicked uh, city of Sodom around him. As the same angels come to him, he's the only one who reaches out in a very similar fashion to Abraham to welcome them into his home uh, and even to protect them. And hospitality uh, not only is something that we see throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament we see it's a qualification for elders, for pastors of a local flock that they be hospitable, both in the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 and in the qualifications listed in Titus 1. It specified that, that men who would seek to be shepherds of a flock would be hospitable men. This is something that is honorable and commendable and a mark of spiritual maturity. And in Romans chapter 12, 
And in verse 13, as we have this long list of things that we are urged to do, in verse 13 it says uh, that we are urged to contribute to the needs of the saint pursuing hospitality. Hospitality is something that we should seek, that we should pursue, that we should make a priority in our lives, that we need to be working and growing in, that we are opening up our homes to one another, uh, to strangers that we are seeking to serve in this way. So that's not the problem that Martha has here. In fact, this is something that I think we should look at Martha and see as a commendable thing, that she is opening up her home to Jesus. Second of all, Martha is a servant here. Do you notice back there in Luke chapter 10, in verse 40, um, here it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, is how the ESV reads. Much serving. Let let me ask you, is much serving a good thing or a bad thing? (laughs) Well, obviously, we understand much serving uh, to be a very good thing within itself, right? Uh, And so uh, Martha is seeking to be a a servant here. If you want to turn over later in the book of Luke to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Remember in verse 24 through 27 here, there's a debate among the disciples about who is the greatest among Jesus' disciples, among the apostles. Um, And do you remember what Jesus says about that? Well, at the end of this section, notice verse 27 in particular. It says, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He says that the Gentiles, the the nations, people of the world would think, well, the one who is being served, they're the, the greatest. But he says, I'm among you as the one serving. Well, in in the context of Luke 10, who's the one that's serving? Martha. She is the one serving. And in fact, Jesus says that's the role that he often takes. You remember in John chapter 13, when when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And they're all thinking, well, I'm not going to lower myself to to take on that role. Um, You know, somebody else is going to have to do that. Well, Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his garment, girds himself with a towel, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. To do this very lowly, physical service for his disciples. Can you, can you imagine if, if one of them spoke up and said, well, Jesus, that's really not that important. Um, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, of course not. No, Jesus is showing them a heart of service, which is a good thing. And so I think we need to be careful about what exactly we're rebuking Martha for here, or how exactly we're seeing Jesus' rebuke. Uh, She is taking a position of service, and much service within itself can be a very good thing. In fact, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 and 35, you remember here in Matthew 25, Jesus tells of, of a judgment scene in which he's separating those on his right and on his left. And it says, then the king will say to those on his right hand, uh, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. He goes on to say, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Here, these are all physical things. And in fact, doesn't that kind of sound like what Martha's doing here? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. And here, this is what is differentiating in Matthew 25, those who are going to inherit the eternal kingdom and those who aren't. Should we be servants like Martha? Should we be, yes, even seeing to to the physical needs of those around us? I think what we're going to see is that Martha's hands were not in the wrong place. It was her heart that was in the wrong place. I think the type of service that she is rendering is, in fact, something that we should see as a good thing, as a commendable thing. And thirdly, I think we should see that she was a diligent servant in this. She was distracted by her much serving. That here, as she is having Jesus into her home, she is striving to give him her very best. This is very similar to Abraham. You remember Abraham, as he's trying to to give his very best, is rushing around trying to make all these preparations for these people. Well, that's very similar to what we see Martha doing here, being very diligent in her service to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 tell us, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now here, he's make, we're making this application in all work that we do, that in everything we do, we are serving Christ. But here with Martha, in a very literal sense, she is serving the Lord Christ. How would we expect her to do that? Uh, you know, if, if, if Jesus were to come into your home, how, how would you seek to treat him? Well, you'd want to give him your very best. You, you wouldn't have Jesus come into your home and say, well, we, we have some leftovers in the fridge. You know, you, you can go warm them up if you want. Uh, you know, or, or we, we got some peanut butter and jelly uh, that you can make yourself a sandwich. Well, no, we want to give Jesus our very best. And so I, I think we see Martha's diligence in this is not a reprehensible thing. Her diligence within itself is a good and a commendable thing. In fact, the, remember the virtu, virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? How is her work and her service described? If you want to turn your Bibles back there to Proverbs chapter 31, we'll just read a, a few verses from this passage Uh, Starting in verse 13, here it says, She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. This describes a very diligent worker and a lot of physical areas. Serving her family, providing for her family, making sure that they're clothed, making sure that they have food on the table. Later on, down in verse 27, it says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And so these aspects of what Martha is and what Martha is doing, 
are not within themselves the things that Jesus is rebuking. I think we see that Martha's hands were in the right place. Her heart is the problem. And so showing hospitality, being a diligent worker, being a servant are all good things that we can learn from Martha. But obviously, Jesus rebukes her. Why is that? What is the problem here? As much as Martha got some things right, she certainly got some things wrong as well. I think first and foremost, we see that she was distracted by her much serving. There, there in verse uh, 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's not that what Martha was doing was not a good thing to be doing. But she allowed this to distract her from what was truly most valuable and most important. Notice Jesus' phrase there in verse 42. It says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The ESV reads. What, what does that mean? What, what does Jesus mean by that? She's chosen the good portion. Well, that, that phrase, good portion, uh, comes from the idea of the best part of meat from an animal. This is, is the, the, the most highly prized piece of, of meat from that animal. Or you might think the, the, the best dish at a feast. This is the best portion that you would want to give to your guest of honor. I think that's a very fitting illustration to what's going on here, don't you? Martha is going around and she's maybe preparing all these different dishes, making sure that this is ready and that's ready. And Jesus says, Mary chose the best dish. And what is that? The dish that Jesus brought himself, the bread of life, his teaching. And so part of the problem here is that Martha had her priorities mixed up. Not that anything that she was doing within itself was not a good and, in fact, commendable thing to be doing. But she allowed that to turn her priorities on its head and to miss out on the true feast that was happening. Jesus, the bread of life. This is very similar to Acts chapter 6, and we have studied this uh, at, at some point uh, last year. Acts chapter 6, you remember when there was the uh, need among the Grecian widows, and there, there was the complaint that their, their physical needs were not being provided for. Do you remember what the apostles say in response to that? It says, and the twelve summoned the full number here in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. It says that the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, what do they mean by that? Do they mean that the serving of tables is not important? You shouldn't be doing that. Well, no. In fact, they appoint seven men to take care of it. It was an important thing uh, that God intends that we take care of those who are needy among us. But they said this is not what is most important and what is most needful. 
We're not going to neglect the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These areas of physical service are important and commendable, and we've looked at passage after passage after passage to show that. But they must not distract us from the spiritual nourishment and salvation of our souls that only Jesus can provide. I think that's part of the lesson that he is teaching Martha here. Jesus there said in verse 42, one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good portion. One thing is necessary. We, we often might think of the necessities of life you know, as, as food and, and drink and clothing. Jesus says one thing is necessary, is needed. And you think about Martha serving Jesus here. This is the same one who fed the 5,000 with two loaves and two fish. Uh, five loaves and two fish. Thank you. <laughs> Got that mixed up. Um, do, do you think that he really needed what Martha had to provide here? Not, not that what she's doing is not commendable and good. And in fact, what we'll see Jesus doesn't tell her, abandon that, come out here. Uh, no, what she was doing within itself was good. But do you think Jesus really needed that? No, Jesus himself, uh, he, he could prepare the, the feast right there. Uh, and I think we, we need to give thought to what, what is truly needed. So, sometimes we want to serve in certain ways because that's what makes us, us feel good. Because, well, th- this is my gift and this is my talent and this is what I have to offer. And yet we, we don't necessarily stop and think, well, is this what is truly most important in this situation? Is this truly what's going to help most? Let, let me give an illustration. Um, many times when uh, I, I go different places um, to, to, to preach and people have us into, our, into their home, they ask, well, do you guys have any, any food allergies or anything that, that you don't like eating? And I normally tell them, we're, we're pretty easy to please, but Aaron does have a, a slight allergy to fish. And so probably not a good idea uh, if we ate fish. C- can you imagine somebody saying, well, you know what? Fried catfish is my best dish. And everybody likes my fried catfish. And so, sorry, but that, that's, that's what I'm going to serve. Well, you know, that might make them feel really good. This is, this is the best that I have to offer. This is what I can do. But is that truly what's... What's needed? Is that truly what's going to be most helpful? And, and so I think we need to, to give thought to what, what is truly going to help, what, what is truly going to be needed uh, above all else in this situation. And we see Jesus saying in, in John chapter 6, uh, after feeding the 5,000, he says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. He says there, do not work for the food which perishes. What, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that all of us need to leave our jobs, stop worrying about putting food on the table for our families, um, and, and just go home and read our Bibles uh, from now until Christ comes? Well, no. But he's saying, this is not what's most important. Don't put your focus on working on this. You need to put your focus on working for this. That's the exact lesson that I think we see him teaching Martha. 
Not that that's bad, not that we shouldn't be doing that. In fact, that's commendable for us to serve others in physical ways. But this is what is most important. This is what is most needed. If we fill somebody's belly, but we haven't helped their soul, we haven't helped them one bit. We need to make sure that we have our focus where Jesus would have it be. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus, after talking about the the physical needs and the things that the Gentiles seek after, after food and drink and clothing, he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is priority number one, that we seek Christ's kingdom, the spiritual nourishment of God's word. Is that where our focus is? And, And that's so easy for us to do without even realizing it sometimes. That whether it be with ourselves or with our children, we we put our highest priorities on making sure we we get a a good education and making sure they they get a a good scholarship to to college and they can get a good job and that they can be successful and that they can be good citizens. Not that any of those things are bad. But if we have focused on that to the detriment of their souls, then our focus is not where it needs to be. And at the end of the day, we haven't benefited them at all. Certainly, physical service is an important thing. It's one way in which we show the compassion of Christ, in which we shine our lights. But when it becomes a distraction from what is most important, then we need to to get rid of that. We need to make sure that the focus is where the focus needs to be. On the salvation of our souls. That we might be able to be in God's presence for all eternity. That we might bring him the glory that he deserves. But in addition to being distracted by her much serving, I think we see that she was anxious. There in Luke chapter 10 and verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Not only was her focus shifted from where it needed to be, where her priorities not where they needed to be, but this had robbed her of her peace. Here she became worried and anxious, the very thing that we just saw in Matthew chapter 6. We we are not supposed to be. Leading up to that statement in verse 33 about seeking first the kingdom uh, of God and his righteousness, we're told here in verse 31 and 32, do not worry then saying, what will we eat and what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Brethren, when we worry, when we're struggling with anxiety, many times it's an indication that our priorities are not where they need to be. That we're focusing in the wrong areas. Uh, And instead of focusing on the Lord, on his power to provide, and instead of focusing on the things that God would have us be focusing on, we we are focusing on these things that are are robbing us of our peace. It's interesting, this word, both in Matthew 6 and in Luke 10, for being anxious or worried, is used in the scriptures in both a positive and a negative way. Uh, In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about us being part of the body together, it says that each part may have the same care for one another. That's actually the same word for being worried or or anxious. But there, obviously, it's a positive thing that we have a genuine care and concern for the well-being of one another. Same word is used in Philippians chapter 2. 
in verse 20 in reference to Timothy, when Paul says of Timothy that I have no one else who will have a genuine concern for your well-being. Well, that's a good thing. Then what's, what's the, the problem? Well, the problem was when that concern takes our focus off of what it needs to be on, when that concern robs us of our peace, uh, compromises our trust in God. It's not that I can't be concerned about whether or not my children have food to eat. It's not that I can't have a, a concern about their health. But at the end of the day, I need to have the peace that focusing on my trust in God and his provision and his power can provide. And here, Martha, because of a lack of the proper focus, is being robbed of that peace. She's allowing this to, to weigh her down, to disturb her greatly. We're, we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Not one thing. It's not that I can't care and concern, have concern for certain legitimate and good things. But the moment that distracts me from where my focus needs to be, the moment that that takes me uh, further away from the Lord rather than closer to him, the moment that robs me of my peace, it's not what it needs to be. That should not be my attitude about anything. Not one We need to take that to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7 says, Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And you notice that part of what happens with Martha is she starts thinking that, well, Jesus just doesn't care. Do you see that? I think that goes along with our third point here. She becomes irritated. She becomes troubled by this. Jesus says to her there in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She comes out to Jesus in verse 40 and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That language is very similar to the apostles or the disciples of Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. You remember when they're in the boat and they're on the the stormy sea and Jesus is sleeping down below and they come down and they say, Jesus, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Here, an emotional storm is going on in, in Martha's heart and in her mind. And it gets to a breaking point where she finally comes out to the Lord and says, do you not care? No, that's not the problem at all. God cares. We can cast all our cares upon him. The problem is Martha's focus and Martha's attitude. Just as in the the boat, uh, Jesus had it all under control. Here, the only problem is what was going on within Martha's heart. I think sometimes we can become dissatisfied with our role in serving the Lord. And I think that's part of what's going on here with Martha. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, remember this illustration of the body that we've talked about many times. We see that we all have different roles. Uh, And in verse 14, we see if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is not for this reason any less a part of the body. 
at the end in verse 18, he says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. As we said before, it's not that Martha's hands were in the wrong place, but that her heart was in the wrong place. We're going to see this confirmed for us even even more later on. Um, But I think sometimes this can be us, that we are serving in some area, maybe some legitimate and commendable area, but that we become dissatisfied. And we think, well, what about so-and-so? Why do they get to be out there doing that? And, and they get to be a hand, or they get to be a mouth, they get to be an ear, and I have to be this foot. You know, why, tell, tell her to come in and help me. And yet, that's not what needs to happen. Uh, certainly, we all have different roles in different places. Um, but I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say, Martha you shouldn't be doing that. You need to stop doing that and come out here. He says, Mary has chosen the good part, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Um, In fact, I I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. Here, this is just days before Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. And it says there in verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And if we go on, we see Mary is at Jesus' feet, anointing his feet. Nothing changed. Martha is still serving. The problem is not what she was doing, but her attitude about it. That her priorities were not what they should be. That she was dissatisfied, that she was troubled with this. That she was trying to get Mary to come in and help her. Um, I think we need to recognize that there may be times that for one reason or another, we need to take a role that doesn't seem very glorious, that doesn't fulfill us the the way that that we want it to, that other people don't recognize, that we're back where everybody else seems to be doing something else, and we're kind of all alone here serving in this humble position. What should my attitude be then? I should be glad to serve in whatever way God wants me to be serving. In fact, this is ultimately the attitude of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, we see the, the type of attitude that all of us need to have as Christians. In verse 3, we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition. Uh, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is uh, yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What attitude are we encouraged to have? 
ultimately the attitude of Jesus. That our focus isn't on ourselves and on our role and our recognition, but is on serving others' needs. We're told of Jesus that he emptied, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. I want you to imagine for a moment if Jesus had the attitude of Martha. Jesus coming to earth, saying, well, Lord, why me? Why, why do I have to take this position of a servant? You know, and the angels, they get to stay up there with you. Uh, why can't you send one of them down? Well, if that was the case, you and I would be lost. Now, Jesus' attitude was that he was willing to take the lowest position, even if he was the only one in the world to take it. And so I think there are a few different problems with Martha here, but I think one of them was her dissatisfaction with this rule. And yet I think John chapter 12 shows us that her attitude has changed. She's still serving. Her hands are still in the same place. But her attitude about it, I believe, is different. And so what about us? Where are our priorities? We, we need to recognize what the good portion is. And as we make decisions about our service to the Lord, we need to make sure that we're keeping first things first. That our spiritual nourishment and the salvation of souls is of the greatest importance. And yet, when we find ourselves in a position where we need to be a servant and take a role maybe that we don't feel like anybody else is taking, a humble role, we need to have the type of attitude that is willing to put others first. To not worry about what role that person is taking or that person is taking, but what role would God have me take? And to be content doing whatever I can to further the cause of Christ. What about you? What about me? As we look into the mirror of God's word, what lesson can we take home with us today? God's word is intended to transform us, to change us. And if we leave here today without being changed at all in our thinking or in our actions, then we failed in our purpose. Let's each make sure that as we go out from this place, we seek to be more who God wants us to be. And if you recognize today that there is some sin in your life that you're harboring within your heart, that you haven't surrendered to the Lord, that you haven't turned back to him, won't you make that right with him now? If there's anything that we can do to help you in your relationship to the Lord, you need to confess some sin that we can pray about together. God is faithful and just to forgive. He wants to restore you unto himself. And if you've never committed your life to the Lord, you've never had your sins washed away in baptism, by God's grace and the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you can bury the old man of sin in baptism. You can be raised to walk a new life, in which it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You need to, to make some change today. If there's anything that we can do to help you in your relationship with the Lord, we ask that you will make it known by coming to the aisle as we sing together.